Father, we do ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I do just yield myself to you. I come in weakness. Lord, I know that, Lord, you're the only wise God, and we need to hear from you. So we yield our hearts to you. Pray for the anointing of your spirit. We pray, Lord, you'd cause, Lord, truth to prevail, be simple and clear and life-changing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we want to begin a new series that I've just entitled New Beginnings. It's going to be a series out of the book of Genesis, which is the first book in your Bible, and obviously a book of new beginnings. It starts off, of course, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, that's the ultimate new beginning, of course, is creation. Now, there are some scientists today that don't think that what the Bible claims that God did in creation is really that big a deal. Because there are some scientists today that think, well, heck, we can even do that, most of that, we in the lab today. And that reminds me of a joke. Uh, one day there was a scientist in his lab, and he was so proud of all of his accomplishments that he just said out loud, you know, God, we can do all that you claim, that the Bible claims you did at creation. We can do right here in this lab. Well, all of a sudden, God appeared in the lab. And God said, okay, let's have a contest. And the scientist said, sure, no problem. God said, okay, we're going to do this contest uh, just like I did it back in the days when I created Adam. And the scientist said, no problem. And then the scientist bent over and picked up some dirt. And God said, no, 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 get your own dirt. <laughs> so the story of creation is the story of God making the universe out of nothing. Out of nothing. And that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to look at several different sections in the book of Genesis over this series. And I think you're, we're going to be greatly blessed and encouraged uh, about how, how these truths relate to our relationship with God and our lives. But what I want to talk about this morning is I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk about creation and how understanding how God did creation is great, give, give us great insight into how God works how God not only worked in creation, but how he wants to work in our lives today. It's an important pattern that's going to greatly impact, I think, us, all of us today. So let's start right off with the first verse. It says, Genesis 1-1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a lot more of these ten words than most people might think. Do you know that science tells us that the universe is made up of five essential ingredients? Those five essential ingredients are space, matter, energy, time, and intelligence. Again, you've got space, matter, energy, time, and intelligence. Now, interestingly enough, all five of those are found in the opening ten words of the Bible. In the opening statement of the Bible, all five essentials, essential properties of the universe are right there. I mean, this is amazing. For example, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning speaks of time. In the beginning, God. That speaks of intelligence. In the beginning, God created. That speaks of energy. 
In the beginning, beginning, God created the heavens. It doesn't say heaven, the heavens. That's space. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that speaks of matter. So all five essential ingredients of the universe are captured in the first 10 words of the Bible. I just think that's amazing stuff. But uh, what I want to focus on this morning really is not the first verse, but the second verse. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Let's read that. It says, and or now, more accurately, now the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, usually I, I tend to prefer the New American Standard Bible translation. I prefer that over, personally, I prefer it over NIV or King James, even though those are excellent translations. I've, I've always tended to prefer New American Standard, but NIV gets this verse right. So I got to give them kudos on this because they do translate it literally and don't just try to smooth it out. You know, I get concerned about translations that are just trying to smooth it out to English and then, move, and then lose the oomph of what's being said. Because clearly in Hebrew here, there is a disjunctive, not a conjunctive. A disjunctive, which would be translated now, as opposed to a conjunctive, which is translated and. Or a sequential, which would be, would be translated and then. He said, now what's the big deal? Well, the Hebrew construction signifies that verse 2 is not the result of a development from verse 1. And that, by the way, is why many Bible scholars really throughout history have believed that there is a gap between verse 1 and 2 allowing for the fall of Satan, fall of Lucifer, star of the morning, the chief cherub, the leader of the angels of heaven, who led his rebellion, that his fall is cast down out of heaven between verse 1 and verse 2. That's why verse 2 reads the way it reads. I personally have that same conviction, and I'll explain why, and I'll also explain why that's important in a moment. Now, verse 2, if you read verse 2, there is something that is, has gone drastically wrong in verse 2. Something is wrong. The earth is formless and void, empty. Now you say, now why is that a problem? Why is that drastically wrong? I'll, I'll tell you, if you look up the Hebrew word translated here, empty or void, you'll find out that that word only occurs two other times in all the Old Testament. And both those times, that word is joined with another word, the word waste. And in both those times, that word is not only associated with the word waste, but is, it is a result of the judgment of God upon that place. That happened in Jeremiah 4.23, Isaiah 34.11. In other words, the earth had become formless and void, most likely because of God's judgment. Now hold that thought, because I know some of your gears are stripping here. Waste and void cannot describe a stage in God's work of creation. Not only does the syntax, the original syntax, argue against the sequence, 
But Isaiah 45 and verse 18 states that God did not make the world a waste. It actually says he didn't do it that way. Here's what it says. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not make it a waste place. But formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Now the rest of Genesis 1 is going to show how God brought this world from a condition of desolation and waste to a place of order and fullness. We're going to see that in the six days following now. Not only was the earth waste and void, but according to the second circumstantial clause in verse 2, it says, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness, that matters, that word matters. Darkness throughout the Bible as represents, represents evil and death. It, darkness is not conducive to life. Now some uses of the motif of darkness in the Bible, for example, in the plagues of Egypt, the ten plagues of Egypt, where God is bringing down really judgment upon Egypt, those ten plagues, one of the plagues you remember was darkness upon Egypt. Also, death and darkness are associated together throughout the Bible. And when the Lord, in the great day, great and terrible day of the wrath of God, when he pours out his wrath in the last days upon the earth, it is called a day of darkness. Again, you see that darkness associated with judgment. So just verse 2 has an ominous negative tone. You have to see that. This clause is describing not the result of divine creation, but some type of chaos that has happened between verse 1 and 2, a chaos in the earliest stage of the world. Now, it's interesting. It's not the purpose of Genesis to tell the reader how the chaos came about any more than it's Genesis' interest in telling us and identifying who the serpent is in chapter 3. But we can draw some conclusions from other passages that have similar descriptions. Because I do agree, I agree with the scholars throughout church history that the fall of Satan really brought about this chaos in God's original creation. And I won't explain why I believe that. And then we're going to go on to the rest of this passage, and a lot of it's going to make sense. In Job chapter 38, verse 4, here's what it says. God is speaking. He's speaking to Job and says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And you go to verse 7. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God. Now, the sons of God in the book of Job is a reference to angels. Where were you, Job, when I created heaven and earth? Verse 7, when, at that time, when the morning stars sang together, the angels are singing, and all, all of them, all the sons of God shouted for joy. In Genesis 1-1, all the angels sang at creation. They are praising God at creation. All of them. All of them. All the angels, including the one by the name of Lucifer, star of the morning, the chief cherub. 
So at the moment of creation, all the angels are still good angels. There has not yet been a rebellion. There's not yet been a, a casting out of Satan and one third of the angels who joined him in the rebellion who are now demons on the earth. That had not yet happened. But something happened after that. We do know there was an attempted coup, an attempted there was a rebellion in heaven in which Lucifer, this chief cherub, who was the most beautiful, most powerful of all the angels, according to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, led this rebellion, tried to take God off his throne, take that place himself. And by the way, there was no contest. This was not a hard fight. I mean, God cast him out of heaven. But where did God cast him out to? Isaiah 14, 12 tells us. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. So the one who led the rebellion, the one who led the disorder, I just want to use that word, the chaos, the one attempting to find his more fullness, ended up with emptiness was cast down to the earth, and with him, the disorder, the emptiness, and the darkness is out on the earth with him. So what will happen now in Genesis chapter 1, after verse 1, is actually, starting in verse 2, before we even leave verse 2, God begins really his first act of redemption. God is now going to salvage the world and create all things new. I mean, this picture is similar to how it's going to be at the end of the age when God, again, is going to judge the world and then he's going to make all things new, new heavens and new earth. He's going to do that again. So God is going to begin his work of redemption or I want to use the word uh, recreation before he even gets out of verse 2. Because before we even get out of verse 2, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So God is about to fix the mess. God is about to do an act of redemption. That's why the Spirit of God is hovering. God is about to bring about a new beginning. And so the Holy Spirit of God is hovering over this earth, ensuring now its future development. By the way, some of you here today and some of you live streaming, uh, I'm not asking you to show hands, but in your heart of hearts, you know that you've made a, a bit of a mess of some part of your life. You know it's out of order. It's void, it's empty. You feel the darkness, you feel the despair. And I believe the Spirit of God is hovering over you right now. And he wants to do an act of redemption. He wants to do a recreation. He wants to do, give you a new beginning. But I'll talk more about that later. Let's go back to verse 2. So the life-giving Spirit of God is hovering over the mess that has become of the earth to do a work of recreation, a work of redemption. And now it's going to take six days. Now I want you to understand, we really need to see how God does this. This is going to give us great insight into something. Because what God is going to do over these six days is the first three days, he's going to remedy the formlessness. He's going to remedy the disorder. 
And then the next three days, he's going to remedy the void, the emptiness. So let's look at the first three days. First three days, let's see how he remedies the fact that it's formless. How is he going to remedy the disorder? Let's read it. Genesis 1, verse 3 through 5. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God, God saw the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. There's order going on now. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. And there was evening and there's morning one day. So the first stage, I want you to see God moving things from disorder to order is he creates light and divides it from the darkness. So that which God calls into existence on the outset, of course, is light. So immediately it's changing the world that's been enveloped in darkness. It's a natural light. It's a physical light. But of course, it's much more. Because the Bible shows us again and again that light and darkness signify mutually exclusive realms, especially in spiritual matters of good and evil. I mean, throughout Scripture, light is the realm of God and righteousness, and darkness is the realm of the evil one and death. Light represents that which is holy, pure, true, life-giving, gladdening light. It's interesting that when God brought the judgment on Egypt, the plague of darkness on it, if you read the passage in Exodus 10, it says that Israel enjoyed the light in their dwellings. While Israel followed the, the Lord's light in the wilderness, they were assured of his presence and his guidance and his blessing. So then God divides the light and the darkness. And after the light and the darkness attained their separate spheres, God named them day and night. That's the first stage. Again, I want you, don't, I want you to follow this, of God moving things from disorder to order. That's day one. What does he do next? Six through eight, Genesis 1, 6 through 8. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. See this? More disorder going to order. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. So the next stage of God moving from formless to form or from disorder to order is God creates a division for the waters. On the second day, God created an expanse in the atmosphere separating the waters above from the waters below. Now, what is that all about? Well, up to this point, the atmosphere was probably just like a real dense fog. There's probably a little visibility and very little light shining through. So God, with the creation of the expanse, he divides the cloud masses above and the waters on the earth below. He's bringing order where there was disorder. Let's see what he does next. On the third day, God will cause dry land to appear. Genesis 1.9, then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Now we're going to see a shift. Now he's not, he's not only going to go from disorder to order, but we're going to see that he's now going to go bring things from emptiness to fullness. All right? Genesis 1.11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Remember, the dry land appeared, it was empty. But God is going to change the void, the emptiness with fullness. 
Genesis 1.11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plant, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth. And it was so. So God is now moving things from a state of emptiness to a state of fullness. All right. Next step. Remember, the heavens were empty. God now on the fourth day is going to bring fullness. Genesis 1, 14 through 16. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. So now God takes that which was empty and fills it. Sun, moon, stars, bam. Now God's going to take the seas and the sky, which were empty, and he's going to bring them to fullness. Genesis 1, 20 and 21. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind, every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. So God now fills the skies, fills the seas. They were empty and void, but now they have fullness. But what about the land? It's got vegetation now, but God's going to bring more fullness with creatures. Genesis 1, 24 and 25. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth after their kind. It was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So again, he brought everything first three days from disorder to order. Next three days from emptiness to fullness. We got to see this. And once everything has got fullness, what does he do? He creates humankind for them to now live and to rule in this now ordered and very full, habitable world. He puts Adam and Eve. So again, I just want you to see this pattern because we're going somewhere with this. When God encounters a world that is formless and void and covered in darkness, what does he do? He begins to redeem it, recreate it. He, encounter, he takes a disorder and moves it to order. He takes the emptiness and brings about fullness. And he removes the darkness and despair with the light. Now, what about us? What about somebody whose life who is, they say, you know, my life, that sounds like my life. My life is formless and void and covered in darkness. A lot of people have a, a piece of their life they feel like is out of order and it's empty. And I'm despairing. What does God want to do? How does the Spirit of God hovering over that life, what does he want to do? How will God work? I want to basically propose to you is that God works this way consistently. That he brings a disorder to order before he brings fullness where there's emptiness. So you have a life. Let's say somebody said, you know, and here's a mistake a lot of people make. They think, I feel the emptiness, I feel the void, I feel the despair, the darkness. I want fullness, God. Give me fullness, God. But they don't do anything about the disorder, going to order. They just want, God, fill my disordered life. And that's not how God works. 
if you have someone, let's just take an alcoholic or a drug addict. Let's take some programs that have been helpful, like alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous or CR, which we prefer, Celebrate Recovery here. What are these programs? How have they helped people whose lives were full of disorder and emptiness and covered in darkness and despair? How have they been helped? What's the first thing these programs help them do? Is get them from disorder to order. They got to change their patterns. They got to change the way they're living their life. They got to change their relationships. They got to put a whole, they got to put something in order. And then comes the fullness. Or let's talk about a lonely person who says, My life just feels empty. I'm lonely. I'm despairing. Well, the lonely person begins to go from disorder to order. In other words, you begin to change your patterns, where you go, what you're willing to do. You know, you begin to form relationships. You begin to have some type of order. And then comes fullness. How about a person who's financially in debt? If a person has total disorder in how they handle their finances, and they, sit and they say, I just want fullness, Lord. You can, you can just pour all kinds of money on that person, and they're still going to end up poor, Right? Because what has to happen, and what we do in courses like Celebrate Recovery, you know what Celebrate, I mean, I'm sorry, not Celebrate Recovery, Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University, why is that so helpful to so many? Because the first thing it does is help people establish some order where there's disorder in their finances. Simple things, like how to have a budget, how to get out of debt. So what are they doing? They're establishing order. Next thing you know, they've got fullness financially. All of a sudden, they got money. They have money to spend now because they've, they've gotten, they went from disorder to order and now they can go from emptiness to fullness. I think this applies to every part of our lives. Take someone's health. Someone who's got, is really void of good health. <clears throat> Typically, generally speaking, there's, there's a lot of, you know, they got to take the disorder and how they take care of themselves and bring it to order before you're going to have fullness of health. I spent last uh, week in Pakistan, and uh, God just did some amazing things in ministry there. I, was, I went there to minister to a, a large group of pastors in a certain part of Pakistan. And the first day I got there, I was uh, I arrived at about three in the morning, and and I got up at uh, eight o'clock to to eat breakfast at this little hostel I was at. And typically, if I meet somebody who speaks English, I'm very careful about my identity. Uh, I was out standing out. I, never, I stood out quite a bit. I never saw another foreigner. Def, definitely never saw another American anywhere I was in Pakistan. But this morning, I was having, uh, I was having breakfast, and this man about, oh, I'd say he's 45 years old. He was obviously educated, spoke perfect English. He was a banker. He's a vice president of a bank that did business in the U.S. and in Pakistan. He was traveling there, and he's sitting across from me. And he was to ask, ask him about himself. He's telling me about what he does with the bank. He also had an apparel business. He's developing certain clothing from Pakistan to the U.S. And he's obviously made a lot of money doing all this. He was educated. As we're speaking, he said, "And what do you do?" Now, typically, I'm careful how I answer that, but I just thought, I, I saw the Spirit of God hovering, so to speak, over this man. 
And I just knew that, that there's a, a calling on his life. I knew things about him. I just, this just occurred to me. I didn't go into some trance. I just, it just occurred to me what was going on with him. I think it was by the Spirit of God. And so I just said, I'm a, I'm a Christian pastor, and I'm here to help the churches in Pakistan. As he's eating, he said, my wife's a Christian. He kept eating. <laughs> and I said, how about you? And then he went on to talk about how he gave some money to the church here and there. And then he went on to rail against priests and pastors. And he just railed about their hypocrisy and railed and railed. And I just let him kind of ventilate. And then I would just look at him. And the Lord just gave me some words for him. I just spoke directly to him, uh, simple words about, uh, about the calling on his life. And I said, you know you do have a calling in your life. You know you do, don't you? And you've been running from it, haven't you? And finally, he got really uncomfortable. He finished and he left. So I went up to my room. I was there about an hour. And the owner of the hostel, or at least the manager of the hostel, came to my door, and he has a phone, cell phone, and he hands it to me. So I pick up the phone. This is kind of curious. I pick it up, and it's the banker. There's an hour later, he called, and he says, he says, I, I cannot stop thinking about our conversation. He said, and I don't know what's happening to me right now, but I've got to come talk to you right now. Can I come to your room? I said, come on. So he comes, and he comes into the room, and he begins to pour out his heart and to weep, to confess his sin, his need for God. The Spirit of God was just hovering over this man. And then he went on to share why he's so angry. When he was a little boy, he was molested by a priest. And so he walked through all those things in prayer and, and came right back to the place of his calling and God just did just a wonderful time of ministry there. But what was interesting is, again, when I saw this pattern of how God, God, this man needed, this man wanted fullness. But he needed to be brought from a place of disorder to order in his relationship with God and with others in so many ways. And as that started to take place, you could see God then begin to bring the fullness in his life. I think this applies. This applies to every area of life I can think. This applies to marriages. Every marriage couple, I've done lots of weddings over the years, and I've never seen a, married, a newlywed couple think, we want to have a relationship that is formless and void. <laughs> they don't want that. They want a relationship that is full, has fullness. But in order to have that, there's got to be, there's got to be a certain order in that relationship. That's going to bring about the fullness. That's how God works. He first brings disorder to order and then emptiness to fullness. And we're going to talk next week about how he does that in marriage relationships when we get to Genesis chapter 2 next week. But I think even vocationally, you talk about vocationally, you know, there's not, it's not a real big secret to why some businesses are successful and some are not. It's not, a, it's not a, a mystery here. Do you know that the book of Proverbs gives us Three characteristics of being successful in your work. And if you do these three characteristics, you will be successful. What it's doing is giving us the order. And then the success is the fullness. 
Here's the order. The book of Proverbs, and I'll just give it to you real simply, there are three characteristics of the kind of business that God is going to bless with fullness. And that is, you have to work honestly, you have to work diligently, and you have to work skillfully. You do those three things, you'll be successful. According to the book of Proverbs. You've got to be honest, you've got to work honestly. You've got to work hard, you've got to work diligently, and you've got to be skillful. You've got to be good at what you do. You learn a skill, you become good at what you do. And then, so what do you do? That brings about the order, and then God brings about the fullness. Same thing in ministry, by the way. You know, next, next month we're going to have the National Day of Prayer, and you're going to hear this verse quoted over and over and over again. Second Chronicles 7.14. Let's just look at it on the screen. Second Chronicles 7.14, And if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what is he doing? He's given us the order. Then, here comes the fullness. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. See, God is telling the nation Israel there, if they will get the following things in order, then he'll bring about fullness. This is an important biblical pattern that we got to get. The day of Pentecost was a day of fullness. And so many Christians are saying, I want a new Pentecost. I want a fresh Pentecost. I want revival. I want a great awakening. I want, what we're wanting is fullness. But there was an, there's got to be an order. It's got to go from disorder to order before it can go to emptiness to fullness. And I'm telling you, there was a order before Pentecost. And there is an order before every great revival and great awakening. It happens. I mean, I'll give you one part of the order. There was a certain kind of prayer life that the church had. They had a passionate worship. They had a unified intercession, and they had a persistent prayer, all that leading up to Acts chapter 2. And then God gives them fullness. So it goes from disorder to order, from emptiness to fullness. And I tell you what, if you study the great revivals of history where God gave a certain fullness. If you back it up historically, you'll see somewhere the church went from disorder to order before God brought a place from emptiness to fullness. You know, when I, when I do these pastor spiritual you know, gatherings in different countries, what I do is very simple. I'm going there with the goal of fullness. I'm going there with God, pour out your spirit and fullness. Revive these pastors. Empower these pastors. Anoint these pastors. That's what I'm going for. But I know in order to get there, I've got to take that group from disorder to order. That's why every time I talk to Tracy after my first day at any of these, any, any of these meetings, I'm, whatever country I'm in, it's always, I'm always going uphill first day. Because we're having to put some things in order. And sometimes into the second day. And then by the third and fourth day, fullness starts to come. Every time. I've never seen it not happen. I wanted to show you a couple of photos and tell you a little bit more about what happened in Pakistan. I think put the next uh, photo up there if you would. First of all, this is kind of comical. Because they did all this to keep, they did, they did all this to keep me a secret. And then I get there and they got a banner in my face. <laughs> On the banner, I'm like, what's up with this? But the man next to me there in that photo, his name is Falek. 
and I think you'll probably get to meet him someday, but he's an interesting story. i just tell you his story first, in that uh, his grandfather was a Sikh. And back, before, back when it was just one India, before you know, Pakistan and India uh, split, there was a, a Scottish missionary by the name of Robert Orr, some of you might have heard of him, that he came to a prison, and he began to pray for the Muslims and the Hindus and the Sikhs. And by the way, it's against the law today in Pakistan for a Christian to pray for a Muslim, interestingly enough, but it wasn't then. So he went to the prison praying for Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs. What he didn't know, what Robert Orr didn't know, is that Felix's grandfather, who is that Sikh in that prison, falsely accused, I was told, he had a dream of a man coming to him who was going to tell him the truth about God. And here comes Robert Orr just laying hands on one person after another praying for him, people. And he comes to Felix's grandfather and lays his hand up. And there is, and all of a sudden his, his, his grandfather, he looked up and at, at, at Felix, I mean, at this uh, Robert Orr and just says, so you're the man from God. He says, yes, I am. Leads him to Christ. He has a dramatic conversion. He begins to cry saying, Jesus did so much for me and I'm an old man. How, how will I have time to do anything for him? Well, he leads his family to Christ because he's, 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 he's released from prison right after that. He leads his family to, to Christ. And his grandson, little Felic, Felic he, put, he puts his hand on him and senses a call of God on his life and prophesies over him. Well, Felic grows up, gets his PhD in Great Britain in London. And as he's doing that, the Lord brings him back to that point, reminds him of the call on his life to go back to Pakistan. He goes back to Pakistan and says, okay, I'm ready to start my ministry. And I just, all I know to do is what my grandfather told me to do, and I should start praying for people. And so he starts to pray for people, and this is 1983. He's praying for people, laying hands on people, and he comes across his family who has something wrapped, and it looks like a baby. He didn't really pay that much attention to it. It was a, it was a baby wrapped, mummified baby, dead baby, and they're bringing it to be cremated. But he didn't know that. He just thought it was a baby. And so he's praying, laying hands, and he lays hands on this bundle of cloth, thinking there's just a live baby in there, but it wasn't, it's a dead baby. Lays his hand on the bundle of cloth, and then they began to, to, to ridicule him, saying, that, the baby's dead. We're on our way to cre for cremation. And he said, he didn't know, he just prayed a blessing. And then he took his hand off, and the baby started moving. And then they started taking the wrappings off and the baby's alive. I said, that's a heck of a way to start a ministry right there. <laughs> well, they brought me to, we went outside of one of the major cities of Pakistan at that time to a town to have these meetings. And the pastors were coming from a, uh, there was a 60 mile radius we were focusing on of bringing pastors from that, that particular region of Pakistan. Now understand, we're having difficulty getting all the pastors there because the mullahs in all the major cities of Pakistan were, were leading demonstrations and protests demanding the government change to 100% Sharia law. So they were blocking all the roads off, so travel became very difficult for us. So we, 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 
we left the city at four six in the morning before they started the started those. But a lot of the pastors didn't plan on that and couldn't get there. So we began to pray and intercede that God would release them to come. And as I go to this town, I was told I was the only I was told I was the only foreigner who's ever been in this town, and definitely the only American they've ever seen in this town. And so I was a bit of an anomaly. And we began to have our meetings. And as we began to have our meetings, what I was trying to do basically is I'm, I'm asking for fullness. I want God to pour out his spirit, but I also know I've got to go from disorder to order. So I began to teach on the book of Acts, and we began to put things in order, order in our prayer life, order in our relationship with God, and, and just begin to establish things. People begin to repent and so forth. We are, we are basically getting the stage set of order so God can bring fullness. And just so you can have a little bit of an idea, before I got there, we had a prayer meeting on a Thursday night before I went to Pakistan and uh, the week before last, and it was uh, and there's a lot of people giving words over me, but one particular lady came up to me afterward and grabbed me by the hands, and as soon as she did, the Spirit of the Lord said to me, "This is a real word." You know, there's words and then there's real words. You know what I'm talking about? And once in a while you hear one, this, this that really was the Lord. That was the Lord. And as soon as she grabbed me by the hands, the Lord just said, this is a real word. And I just, and so I was really listening. She said, and she just began to pray Romans 8, 28. God will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him. What's about to happen in Pakistan is different than you, think it's, than you thought it was going to happen. When it does happen, don't be alarmed. God's got this in control, and he's doing it for the cause, for the good of those who love him. So trust him. So I'm, I'm thought, okay, I'm expecting something different. So anyway, so we're building and building and building after like seven sessions uh, and understand, too, how this works. I'm in a room, and I've got, uh, I got people outside my room all night long uh, be, you know, trying to keep, keep a watch out for me, protect me. But also, the, uh, people, the sick from the village are starting to line up at my door. And I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but that you, you look out your door, and the sick are starting to come and line up because they believe there's healing in the name of Jesus. And so we're building up and building up, and people are like, when are we going to do this? When are we going to pray for the outpouring of the Spirit? And when are we going to pray for the sick to be? When are we going to do this? I'm, I said, we're going to do that on Friday. Because what am I doing? I'm, I, I know God's going to do fullness, but not unless we get the things in order. And so I'm, I'm building something. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. And so by Thursday night, I thought, we're there. We're there. Tomorrow's going to be awesome. Awesome. I mean, I just, I love those moments. So then Thursday night, I get deathly ill. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I'm sick to the point I cannot, I cannot function. I can't, I can't get out of bed and do anything. So they come to me at about the meetings, you know, but, you know, the pastors got through the blockades and the cities are here. The, the, the place is packed. We can't get them on chairs. They're sitting on the ground. They're, everyone's waiting and they're excited. And I'm, and I'm laying in bed going, I can't get up. I can't get up. And I remember that word that things aren't going to happen quite like you thought, but God is going to turn it for good. And the Lord right away told me that pastor who's hosting this whole thing, he's, he needs to lead the meetings the next day. He needs to lead them. So I told him, I said, send word to the pastor. He's leading the meetings. 
So the pastor comes, he comes over, and he's got like six or seven of these young Pakistani pastor men, men of God with him, and they're all kind of there, they're ready. And I just, I, I stood up, keel over, I laid hands on them. I said, whatever anointing, Lord, you have, release it upon this man for this hour. And then they took me off. They took me off to the hospital. Which is a whole other story, by the way. So I was eager to know what was going to happen here. What I didn't know is that pastor had a dream that night. I appeared to him in the dream and told him he's going to do the meetings. So when, I, when, I t when he heard word, he wasn't even panicked. God had already told him, so when I laid hands on him, he's already confident the anointing would be upon him to do it. So he's full of faith, and they're, they're going into the meeting. Now, so they, they go into the meeting, and I'm... And I just, you know, finally, I'm just like, uh, bring me to a pharmacy because you don't need a prescription in this kind of country. And I, I think I know what kind of medicines I need, you know. I'm writing them down on a piece of paper, give me this or whatever. <clears throat> but uh, what I'm really thinking about is what's happening back there. So call, call, call. I want to know what's going on in the meetings. Call. I call, the pastor says, I've never seen anything like it. He said, the Holy Spirit has come like I've never seen before. He said, I mean, everybody that, it was like Pentecost. He said, it was like Pentecost. He said, and the sick are being healed and people are coming. And I thought, awesome. But I wanted to be there, Lord. <laughs> so then I asked the question, Lord, I'd just like you to just kind of help me through this, understand what's going on here. And the Lord was really crystal clear. Again, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but God, God speaks, I know his voice, and he he said, uh, basically, if you had led the meetings when I did that, to, and in this place where there's never been an, an American, what do you think they're going to think needs to happen next time? I'm like, exactly, Lord. They need to know it's not about me. It's not about being an American. It's not about a foreigner. It's about the Spirit of God on them. And I said, okay, Lord, I got that part. What about the sick part? I mean, couldn't you just told me and I told him? And he, again, he was clear and I said, he said, if you, if you, first of all, if you could have, you would have. And if he, if the pastor knew you could have, he wouldn't have. But because you couldn't, he had to. And I'll just tell you too quick because it was, uh, there's no medicine that was helping me. And uh, uh, I, was, uh, I could not stop everything coming out of me. And I'd lost nine pounds in uh, three days. Uh, and so finally the Lord said, the Lord just revealed, this is a spiritual attack and I rebuke it. And I did. I had just, just enough strength to say out loud. I rebuke every demonic spirit that's come against me in this country. And right now, every demonic assignment, I cancel out in Jesus' name against me. And the, it, it, my sickness just started to go away. I didn't have another problem after that. Just started to gain strength. So praise God. Now, here's where we are today, though. And that is, there are several of you here today that need a new beginning. In some way, you need a new start. Some of you live streaming, you need a new beginning. 
Maybe it's just your life, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your family, your health, your vocation, your ministry. But there's something in your life you're thinking, it's formless and void. I mean, it's out of order and it's empty. And I feel the despair of the darkness. Then what you need to understand is the Spirit of God is hovering over you to do this act of redemption, this recreation, this new beginning. But what the Spirit of God will do first is bring you some, from the disorder to the order before the fullness comes. We need to see that. See, the prodigal son, when the prodigal son is in the pig pen and is, he's empty, what has to happen? You know, he's, he can't just be in a pig pen and say, okay, give me fullness in the pig pen. No, he's got to go from disorder to order. He's got to go back into his father's house and get right with his father. He's got to get things in order. And then comes the fullness. See, it's, it's important that we understand that. And so there's a clo- here's how I really want to do the closing. Some of you are, some of you are just thinking, Lord, I just, you know, I, I need... I'm ready, to, I'm ready to make this decision. I'm ready to cooperate with going from disorder to order. That's really the ministry time I want to have. A lot of times we have ministry time for fullness. And the problem is, I think we've got a lot of people that come with just all the same disorder for fullness and wonder why they didn't get it. Because they hadn't been willing to go from disorder to order so the fullness can come. But yet there's, I really want the ministry time to be a focus on Lord, I, I'm ready to go from disorder to order. I'm ready to cooperate with you. I'm ready to make the hard choices. I need your help. To, give me the grace to make the hard choices to get some things lined out so you can give me the fullness. That's the ministry time. And you don't have to explain it. It could be a thousand different things, but you know who you are right now. You know that's you. I need, Lord, I need your strength to go from that disorder to order so I can have the fullness that you want to give me. You want to give it to me. So let's all stand. I want to pray. And those of you that, that I just described where you're at, I'd urge you to come because this, God's going to do this. If you're just saying, all you, all you got to do is say, I'm willing to cooperate, Lord. I need your help, but I'm willing to cooperate with you taking this, whatever part of this, my life this is, and bringing it from disorder to order. I'm ready to make the hard choices, but I need your help. That's, all, that's what this ministry time is. I need your help. I want to cooperate with you. Father, you know exactly where each one of us is spiritually. You know, Lord, where we are physically, where we are relationally, financially. Lord, you know it all. Lord, and you know those, Lord, that right now you just uh, are speaking to about being willing to cooperate with you and making some hard choices and bringing their life from disorder to order that you might bring fullness. And so, Lord, we're asking you now, would you speak in those hearts? And I pray you just make this a safe place, a place where we're not worried about what people think about us. We're just family meeting with our Father, our good, good Father. Lord, I am so grateful that you're the God that takes the formless and void and covered with darkness and brings about the order and the fullness and the light. So, Lord, Spirit of God, as you hover over those right now, I pray we're praying for that grace just to say, yes, I need the help. Yes, I want to cooperate. Just that grace to come forward and begin to receive from you. In Jesus' name. So if that's you, just slip out of your seat and come up, and we're going to close in prayer praying for you. Don't let this time pass. God will meet you. God will meet you. He will do it. God wants to do this more, and you want him to do it. God loves doing this.
Some of, you, some of you come down, lay hands on these. Would you just slip out of your seat and come lay hands on them? We probably need about 50 of y'all. Come on, guys. Come on. ask in Jesus' name for the Spirit of God that is hovering over these who are come. You're hovering over them to do this work now, bringing out of chaos and out of that formless, out of that disorder, order now. We pray for that grace, Lord, that strength. It's more than resolve, more than just gritting their teeth and doing it. But right now, grace from God, grace from God to make the hard choices, grace from God to put things into order grace from God right now to be set up to receive this fullness, this fullness of blessing you want to release, oh God. We thank you that you're releasing that grace right now. And we take it, we receive it. We receive it, Lord. We believe it. And we thank you for all you're going to do. And Lord, we just pray this week we'd find ourselves just continuing to walk close with you, putting things from a disordered order and it's watching you move us from emptiness to fullness in every area. Let us be overflowing people, impacting our neighbors and classmates and co-laborers and, and, and everyone, Lord, just family members in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we ask you now that you just use us this week to be a blessing to others and to be shatter the darkness kind of people as we walk in the light of your love. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, amen. amen, amen. And by the way, if, you, if you're going to the Connect event today and you have children in Adventureland, please make sure you tell them in Adventureland uh, that you're going to be at the Connect event so they don't wonder why you're not picking them up. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great day.